You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Hey, welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Renee Sproles. And I'm Bonnie Blaylock. Well, we're firm believers in knowing your child, as you know, if you've listened to many of our episodes. And what we mean by that is knowing what makes them tick, what their gifts are, their spiritual gifts, their natural talents, what their temperament is, their love language, their birth order, the preferences, all of it. Parents, by virtue of time spent with our children, and because they are in some sense little versions of ourselves, well, we know our children better than almost anyone. Right. Well, this isn't something to obsess over, though, or for pigeonholing or labeling our kids when we say, oh, you're a gold temperament, so of course you're acting that way, or you're the youngest, so you're probably entitled. I know some people can get really into navel-gazing and taking all those personality quizzes and intelligence tests when, when it boils down to it, life really isn't about us in the first place. Knowing ourselves actually, in some sense, helps us to love others better, not gaze lovingly into our own mirrors. So, okay, yeah, but that being said, you did discover this really interesting podcast. I did. It was from the Thousand Hours Outside podcast, which I know some of you are familiar with, but um, they were talking about a book called The Dominance Factor from Dr. Carla Hannaford's book from the same name. She is a biologist and award-winning educator, and she's got 30 years plus of teaching experience. Yeah. So you're probably familiar that, you know, we're either right or left-handed and we can identify um, that even at a young age. And we've heard the, maybe the notion that people tend to have a way of doing things that's either right-brained or left-brained, but it was news to me that we also have a dominant foot a dominant eye and a dominant ear. It was news to me too. I thought, what, what? How have I never heard this? <laughs> but it was so cool. So what do we mean when we say brain dominance? Well, obviously we're using all of our brains day to day, right? And both of our sides of the brains, left and right, work together under normal circumstances, taking in information. But those who are right brain dominant, and see if this applies to you, are supposed to be intuitive and creative free thinkers. They are kinesthetic and emotional. They are qualitative, big picture thinkers who experience the world in terms that are descriptive or subjective. For example, the skies are gray and menacing. I wonder if it's going to rain. Yeah, and it's worth just noting here that our traditional education system in the United States does not favor this sort of learning and perceiving the world. Right, and we'll get to that why that's important later on. Yeah. So left brain people, on the other hand, tend to be more quantitative and analytical. Uh, we pay attention to details and are ruled by logic. And our view of the weather is more likely the forecast said there was only a 30% chance of rain, but those clouds will probably bring thunder as well as rain. So in the U.S., students labeled gifted and talented, most often up to 90% of them exhibit this linear type of thinking and perceiving. Mm -hmm. 90% of gifted students are left-brained. I don't think that's true, though. I don't think it's true either. So that's, why do we do that? That's what we're labeling them. That's exactly right. To the exclusion of the other. Yes. So, so which are you, given those two things, which well, do you think you are? Left. I mean, I said we, as if like, yes. yeah. <laughs> I think I'm left-brained too. 
Um, so yeah, we're, we're leaning this way more and more because we're asking kids to read and write before school even begins when their eyes and hands haven't even developed enough to really do that well, or at least with ease. Right. We expect them to develop this linear thinking and these, these ways of interacting with the world that are more left brained. Mm -hmm. So there is some research out there. I'll just put it out there that debates this whole notion of left brain, right brain. But the absence of proof is not proof against. <laughs> and we do know that different areas of the brain affect certain functions. So, you know, like when a person has a stroke on the left side of her brain, her language is going to be affected. And we also know that as we grow, the communication between the two sides of our brain increases. And that women seem to have more con connectivity between the two sides and can access it more readily than men. That's why we're multitasking. That's why we can observe things better why we communicate better. Mm -hmm. So here's what we know about how the brain develops. Where's Tiffany Rogers when you need her, <laughs> our neuroscientist? Um, the right side develops first. From in utero to about age seven or eight, which is third grade, we're taking in global aspects of our world. We're analyzing space. We're detecting and responding to unexpected stimuli because our first need is, well, survival. It's the first responder when we perceive danger. That's um, where curiosity is found and new learning. Memories are stored and recalled as overall patterns like facial recognition and emotional expressions, nonverbal communication, ideas and senses. That All that's happening in the right-hand side of the brain. Right. So you think about that up until age eight. That's, that's before you go into school. You need to be in nature observing the big picture world and how big ideas and sensory things happen. That's why yes. we're saying be outside all the time. Yes. I, having no, known that we were doing this um, podcast and having this information, you know, it's just warmed up just enough here lately. I took Dottie Lou outside yesterday. She's just, she's almost two. And literally all she wanted to do was uh, run through the landscaping at my parents' house, which they've got a lot of landscaping mm -hmm. with all the plants, touch the plants, bend down and pull the grass up little blades of grass stand underneath the tree and look up at the limbs. Uh, and I just thought, Oh, her brain's doing all these cool things yeah. as she's pattern ob observation yeah. and big sensory movement and all that, all that cool stuff, exploration, creativity. So our left side of our brain really starts to come online next. That's ages eight. And it doesn't really stop until early twenties, 21 or so. That's where we get our quick integrated processing. We get more self-motivated behaviors Think about your children in this, how you're training, mm. training, 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 and you're thinking they're not getting it until about age eight, nine, then it's like, oh, the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Now they can self-regulate. Now they can self-motivate. Um, they're mirroring our family and cultural behaviors. They can set up linear routines. So this is where our language really starts getting geared up. Alphabet, words, spelling, data, and details. And the left side controls the dexterity of our right hand. It deals with numbers, math, step-by-step -step learning skills, and learning to read. So if you have been in nature earlier and gotten that global perspective, now you're sort of telescoping in to get the details. So interesting. Later grades, yeah. And it's also worth noting that our brain has a crossover pattern. So each side of the body is communicating with the opposite brain side, which is really kind of the core of that podcast that you discovered right. that we're going to talk about um, dominance. Almost all our sensory motor functions on the right side of the body are controlled by the left hemisphere and vice versa. So the right ear communicates with the left side of the brain 
left ear communicates with the right side of the brain. Right. So the the interesting thing that that Dr. Hannaford was talking about is that we tend to prefer all those functions that are controlled by our opposite brain dominance, especially in times of stress or new learning. And this is why I thought that information was so interesting because our children, well, they're almost always learning. They're constantly learning. Mm -hmm. And as we know in today's world, where we have unprecedented change and uncertainty, they are more and more under stress. In the interest of making sure we understand what we're talking about here, let's say it again. Um, when we are under stress, we tend to prefer the sensory and motor functions that are controlled by our opposite brain dominance. Right. So you've got that crossover pattern. Your brain is doing crossover patterns. So if you're left brain dominant, it's going to want, it's going to control everything on your right side. Mm -hmm. If you're right brain dominant, it's going to prefer everything on your left side. Okay. So if you have um, things on the same side as your dominant brain, if, if I'm left brained and I've got motor functions that are dominant, right eye, right ear on my left side, those aren't going to be as effective. Okay. Wow. Okay. So under stress or new lear learning, the non-dominant brain radically decreases its function, like up to 85% shutting down. That was phenomenal to me. Yeah, that's pretty big. So then it leaves your dominant side of the brain to carry on because it's used to it. It's a stronger muscle. Right. Right. Um, so let's determine how dominant you are and where dominant you are. It's, um, it's a little harder to determine your brain, except for we just described it. Right. So you're kind of having to um, say which one is most like me. I've heard that before, so I kind of knew yeah. when I read the descriptions. My more big picture or mm -hmm. my more detail-oriented or left. Um, so your hand. Okay. That's pretty easy. Which, we all know what our dominant hand is, right? Because you write with it. You write right? with it. But for kids who don't write yet, um, you hand them something at their midline, and which is about waist level, and see which hand they reach for it with. Oh. Or maybe you crumple up a ball of tinfoil and you toss it to them at their midline. See which one they reach for it with. Oh, okay. If you don't know what hand they are yet. But I think pretty early, generally. I mean, they're already reaching for mobiles and stuff above their heads with a hand preference when they're pretty early. Well, I mean, I was just keeping Dottie Lou the other day, and she's just starting to draw with markers, you know, washable markers and stuff. And she switches back and forth. Oh, interesting. So we're just watching. Emma and I were just talking okay. about this. We're just kind of watching and seeing. And eating. So, yeah, sometimes... I haven't paid as close attention as I should probably, but yeah, sometimes either hand. Okay. And she's not quite two. Yeah. She's not quite two. So you may not, so, yeah, you may not know. If I toss the ball, it's just going to hit her in the belly and hit the floor. <laughs> so we can't do that yet. <laughs> she's not going to hold it. <laughs> That's right. But, but she'll reach out and but take she'll something. She'll reach out and take something, which I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to yeah. experiment. Okay. So how to determine whether you are right or left eyed. Right. Okay. Um, so you can make a window by overlapping your hands. Like you make an opening between your thumb and the forefinger of both hands. And you're holding that window at arm's length. You know, yeah, like you so, make an L with your hand. Yes. Yeah, so if you do yoga, make the triangle with your index fingers and your thumbs. <laughs> yeah, that'll work too. Um, yeah. Or like you said, David does shooting instruction. And he does this with people all the time because they need to know which eye is their dominant eye for looking through the sights of a gun. That's right. So, yeah. So you're holding that at arm's length and with both eyes, you're looking through that window at an object and without moving that window or your head, you close one eye and then the other and whichever eye holds the image 
That's your dominant one. Yeah. Does it stay inside the triangle or not stay inside the triangle? Right. Yep. So that's harder for a kid to do. Right. So you can roll up a piece of paper or give them like a little telescope kind of a deal and ask them to look through it. Yeah, that's clever. And just see which one they naturally look through it with. Okay. And for the ear, you said that you pretend there are people on the other side of a wall talking to you and you imagine walking to the wall and putting your ear close to hear what they're saying. So which ear do you put against the wall? Um, babies, when, when they're laid on the floor, will naturally turn their dominant ear up uh-huh. to the sky, to the ceiling, so that they can hear danger. Because remember, their first instinct when they're coming online is survival. So when you just lay them down in what they call a fencing pose with their arms kind of straight to their side, uh-huh. they'll, they'll naturally turn their dominant ear up. Okay. But adults, we can't maybe do that because... Maybe your back hurts and you lay a certain way because <laughs> of your neck or something like that. Yes, but we do tend to, when we are in an unfamiliar place, we do tend to sleep. doesn't matter which side you usually go to sleep on. You tend to start out with your dominant ear up for the same reason that babies do. I was trying to think through, do I really do that? And I think I do. When I'm at home asleep, my dominant ear is down. Oh, that's so interesting. I'll have to pay attention next time we travel. I don't know. See if you're in an unfamiliar yeah. place. Well, if you can't tell that with a child, then it's the same kind of thing as with your eye or your hand. You're going to hand them a shell or um, a cup or something and say, can you hear what's inside here? And see which one they go to. The oh, right that the seems left. really, that seems really easy way to do it. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then with our feet, what are we supposed to do to see which foot is dominant? Uh, well, you can see which one you use to go upstairs first. Okay. I asked my son that though, and he says he deliberately... Uses a different switch each time. Yeah, I don't know. Spence exercise thing, whatever. Uh, Or you can have them stand feet together and lean forward until you have to catch yourself. And which foot naturally goes out? Got it. To catch yourself. Um, With small kids too, which foot do they naturally kick a ball with? Got it. It's kind of a balanced thing. Okay, so your situation here that you've described in our notes is if your left brain dominant and your dominant eye is on the right, you can still take in visual information. At any time, even in a stressful situation. Right, because it's crossing. Because it's crossing. But like for me, I'm left brain dominant and I'm left eye dominant. So in a stressful situation, my visual acuity is going to be decreased. That's right. It's really good to know. Right. So if you have a student in a classroom uh, during instruction of, of calculus or something that's really hard and different and new, and their head is turned to one mm. side or the other, it looks like they're, quote, looking out the window, or maybe they're, both of their eyes are closed altogether because they're focusing. In their mind, they're focusing because their visual is not on the opposite side. Their visual dominant is on the same side. Same side, yeah. The teacher's going to look at that and say, you're not listening. You're daydreaming. Pay attention to me. Look, look at me, which is going to have the opposite effect for that student. Mm-hmm. They can't. They are focusing by not looking. They are focusing by looking away. That's so funny. My dad does this on the regular in church. And so many people have said, your dad falls asleep in church all the time. No, no, he's actually listening. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. He, he un- instinctively closes his eyes to listen well. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. That, that explains his situation exactly. Plus, he doesn't care what people say. So he sits <laughs> way far up front and closes his eyes. So that's whatever. Okay. So this is where it seems to me like different types of teaching methods would be helpful. We just kind of want to hit them all. So people with their dominant eye opposite their dominant brain will have 
really good visual intake. So charts, diagrams, pictures are helpful. This makes so much sense to me. I hate all those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I cannot stand a chart. Give me a paragraph of words, you want please. Words. Me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, that this can affect our driving. That makes total sense to me. If you're driving in traffic under stress or in, mm -hmm. in an unfamiliar city. Right. Ah, and where even where you sit in a classroom can make a difference. If you're right eye dominant, sit on the right side of a theater or a classroom. Mm -hmm. You'll pick things up better. Or the center would be good for either one, right? If you sat in the T zone. Oh, probably. Center. But yeah. there's only so many center seats. So if yeah. you have to pick. But I always yeah. knew that and I just took it. <laughs> So there you go. Right. Tell your kids that so they know where to sit. Yeah. When they get a choice. Makes a difference. Um, so normally, I thought this was so interesting. Normally the dominant eye controls the tracking of both eyes. And our right eye naturally tracks from left to right. And okay. our left eye naturally tracks the other way from right to left. So if you are a left eye, if you have this left eye dominant pattern, you're initially tending to look at the right side of the page first and move left. <laughs> so when you're learning to read, you have a child who's struggling to read, it could be their eye dominance. Mm. It may take them longer to adjust. 81% of students in remedial reading are left eye dominant. Wow. 81%. So if you are learning English, which is a left to right, left to right mm -hmm. you can see where you might stumble over that if your mm -hmm. eye dominance is not opposite your brain dominance. If you're reading Hebrew, Arabic, or Chinese, which go the other way, you're actually pretty good at that. Okay. So we, we saw this with, um, Emma had, um, we tried five different spelling programs in five years with her. She was an average speller, but I thought she's so knocking it out the top, like 99th percentile in every category, but mm -hmm. the spelling was like 50th. And I was like, okay, what, what am I doing wrong here? Maybe I just need to teach you in a different way. No, she's, she's, I know she's right brain and left brain equal because we had her tested. So she's got equal strengths on both sides of her brain. I'm curious to know which eye dominant she is because when we went to China, uh, she was at that point, 15, 16 years mm -hmm. old. She was picking up Chinese when we were there because it's a pictorial language. It's, um, the word is contained in the one shape. Yeah. And she intuitively could understand the she could see it all looked like slashes like calligraphy exactly. slashes to me yeah. it all just looked like confused no she was she was picking it up and i thought i should have done shouldn't have done french oh. for you i should have done chinese this wow. is how she your brain been, works yeah, she totally could have been fluent by like now. like wow sorry emma you i didn't teach you chinese <laughs> find somebody to teach chinese but but it really no, was like it really hit home with me that that yeah, that tracking, that eye tracking left to right, or just the the sequence of letters mm -hmm. in English instead of the pictorial language was not really great for her brain. She learned it. She figured it out. She's a great reader. It's a voracious yeah, learner. Yeah, eventually our, both sides of our brain are going to cross over and get that, but it's that new skill. It, that's right. And it would have been cool to see her, um, give her an opportunity to thrive in an area where she had really had to work so hard mm -hmm. before. One of the things um, Dr. Hanford said on this podcast was she recommended turn, if, if that's the case and your child is struggling with reading like that, turn the book upside down and have them read it. That's, and it's usually they can read it right off the bat and they're, they're surprised like, Oh, I can read. Oh my goodness. And it's just the I way. I forgot about that part of the podcast. I do remember that now. That was crazy. 
That was just crazy to, to me. turn it upside down. Yeah, it's just a different way of and tracking. Your eyes are going to track a different way. Mm-hmm. Wow, wild. Yeah. So the ear. Okay, the ear includes our understanding of meaning and tone behind the words, and those fast sound like in English features like s h t h c h. And one of the factors of dyslexia is the inability to decipher fast sound components. So if we improve the auditory functioning, they're saying that can help dyslexic issues. Wow. So over half of all learners are auditory limited, but most teaching is verbal. Mm -hmm. That means auditory limited means that if you are right-brained, your dominant ear is on the right also. If you're left-brained, dominant ear is on the left. So it's when it's... Same side. Yeah, when it's all down the same side. Which she said in her book, um, Dr. Hannaford, that most of the children in special ed classes are on the same side, have the dominance all down one side of their body. Mm -hmm. And she does as well. She's Mm -hmm. in her 70s. Yeah, I think so. She was born in the 40s. And so that was before special ed. She said she didn't read till she was eight, maybe, I think I remember she said. Mm -hmm. Eight or 10. Yeah, it was, it was, well, she would have been, she would have had an IEP. She would have been labeled a particular thing. She said, but I wasn't. And so I, I just learned how to learn how to and adapt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's striking to me. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're, we're just looking at learning in sort of one way. One way. In general, in our public school systems, mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is the beauty of homeschooling. I, I went to many a conference where there were sessions for the parents who had, um, air quotes, delayed learners. So they were saying, you know, if your child struggles to read, don't panic. You know, it can how's their hearing? Now they weren't talking in terms of these dominances, but right. it was making sense. Do audiobooks, you know, do the do all these other things. Maybe they were saying flip the book upside down. Probably somebody was. Yeah. And you can you can adapt. Yeah, that's exactly you why they adapt. just learn how to learn. Mm-hmm. Like learn how to learn saying. for your the way your mind works. Wow, for sure. So hands. Let's talk about our hands. Uh, human communication. That uh, is verbal, but it's also body expression. So left brain, right-handed people are verbally expressive. True. That's true in my case. Yeah, same. Uh, They talk through what they're learning. They can talk under stress. But if your dominant hand is on your dominant brain side, you will, again, this will make you freeze under stress. You can't come up with the words. Mm -hmm. You don't know what to say. And and Dr. Hannaford talked about this with her husband. When they have a fight or they're under stress, she's like... I can't get my words out. I just like, you need to like calm down for a second. Right. And he's the exact other way. Yeah. Like, yeah. tell me the words. Tell me the details. <laughs> tell, tell, me, tell me how you're feeling. <laughs> right. So you can see where that would cause conflict. Yeah. If you didn't know or you didn't give them space to unfreeze. That'd be really hard on a relationship if you didn't know that. You'd be like, why can't you talk to me? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we would do that to our kids too, which will, you know, that's why oh, knowing yeah. this makes a difference because- mm-hmm. We might look at a kid and go, why aren't you listening? Or you never listen to me. Yeah. That kid, he never listens. But maybe he can't or maybe it freezes up when it's under stress, when he's in trouble. Yeah. When they get in trouble, that's immediate stress, right? right? Oh, wow. So one-tenth of the population is left-handed. And that is correlated with uh, artists, composers, philosopher thinkers. Wow, just one in ten. I would have thought not there were more. Many. No, it's not. That's not very many. They used to. My grandmother was left-handed, and she said they used to not let you do that in right. school. I know. Which, given all of this, 
would be incredibly stressful. Yeah. I don't know how the, uh, when they used to force people to do that. It used to cause stuttering and other oh, it did. bad effects because you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't function the way you were supposed to function. Oh, wow. But yeah, my husband's left-handed too. We know several, several people and <laughs> good yeah. friends are left-handed yeah. and they're, they're awfully proud of it. But yeah, our other doctor <laughs> like friend, unique. he's left-handed too. Yep. Yep. And so, he is the most interesting. He is like a philosopher, artist. Yeah. Creative type. Creative type of person. Mm-hmm. Blacksmith. Mm-hmm. Stonemason. <laughs> farmer. Everything. Like I'm going to their house when the zombie apocalypse hits because they can do everything between the two of them. <laughs> of all the skills. We're there. <laughs> That's right. I'm your, I'm your person. I'll do something. I'll bring something to the, to the table. I'll figure it out. So our feet. Let's talk about our feet. Um, we provide... Um, information about our environment and balance with our feet. So that's why like going barefoot is so important. It's actually not just important for kids. I, I think it's important for adults to go barefoot. I do too, but for other reasons, just to be grounded and to do some forest bathing and all yes. that stuff. Yeah. My yeah. yoga instructors has infor- reinforced to me how important it is to have my feet, my toes and the soles of my feet touching the floor when I'm stretching just to get all that sensory input. Yeah. And to not just do it in tennis shoes. And now I miss it. If I've got even just got house slippers on and I'm wanting to, wanting to go do some stretching, I kick them off. Huh. I feel the hardwood or the carpet under my feet. That's interesting. You know, it would be interesting to look at other cultures and see how they, what they deal with shoes. Yeah. Like I know in, you know, the hygiene thing in Asian cultures where you take your shoes off before you come in. Yeah. But I wonder what, what that's like. That, right. that sounds like a you. It does. A you investigation. I, where, why did I not figure that out before this podcast? Sorry, oh. listeners. But How early people put shoes on children. Right. Do we do that? We do in the U.S. because they're so cute. They're cute uh, little I shoes. Know. But really, it's better for them to walk barefoot and learn learn to put that whole sole on, on the yeah, ground. Yeah, isn't that what our, our PT podcast, they were telling us? So they're to, not walking tiptoed and right, things like that. To mm-hmm. let them feel the ground underneath their feet. And it's actually better for the elderly as well, because it deals with your balance oh, and you can feel yeah. so much more. I mean, you're not want to walk across the stony ground, but, you know. Or hot cold. Across the yard, right? <laughs> balance on that. <laughs> so anyway, if your dominant foot is opposite your left brain, then you're going to be good at planned movements and following step-by-step instructions, like in sports or dance. But if your dominant foot is opposite your right brain, movement will be more spontaneous and freeform. Guided by rhythm. It's hmm. very interesting. So you said before, Renee, that uh, Hannaford used, she had ready-made laboratories of classrooms and classrooms and classrooms of decades of children, of elementary and middle school students, in, and they were specifically special ed students. And as you said, she found that over 90% of the kids in these classes were right brain dominant, and they also were right-handed, right-eyed, right-eared, and right-footed, everything on one side. Uh-huh. So under stress, those dominant things, seeing, hearing, communication, and movement were all blocked. So what do typical special needs kids do? Well, they shout and they yell. They can't get their emotions under control instead of using their words. They move around. They're hyperactive. They won't sit still. You try to give them an instruction and they won't get it and they won't see what we're trying to show them. So they end up in special ed. Yeah. And as I just said earlier, Hannaford herself has, has this profile. She's all right side dominant, but she was born in the 40s. And so when she started going to school, they didn't have special ed. And so 
she didn't get labeled and she didn't believe she couldn't learn. Mm -hmm. Wow. Because what does that do to you? Mm-hmm. That power of suggestion mm-hmm. when you tell a child, okay, this is the classroom you're going to be in. They know. Yeah. They even know the reading group. They know. Yeah. A, B, C. They know which one is which. Power of suggestion. And if you flip that script and say, you're going to learn how to learn. Yeah. In this different way. Because you totally can. That has a whole different message. Yeah. This is for this kind of learner and this kind of learner. And there's yeah. even more now. Um not just kinesthetic, auditory, right. visual, all those. Um, there's even more. There's like nine or 12 categories of different types of learning. Learn. Mm-hmm. So if we understand these preferences, moms, we can communicate better with one another. And um, that includes your spouses. Yep. And your children. Uh, well, yeah, definitely your children, but also your husband. Mm-hmm. If your spouse is left brain dominant and wants details, but the other person is right brain dominant and under stress can't focus on that, well, conflict can arise. Yep. Or say you're a parent with an auditory preference. You may characterize your child whose ear is not dominant by saying, well, that kid just never listens. Yeah. Well, that's not the case. Yeah, it's not. Right. So her book is interesting. It's it's really short. It's very short and lots and lots of pictures. It's easy to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and she lays out all these different types of dominance. And it turns out there's actually 32 profiles. So it, you can figure out your dominant eye, ear, hand, and foot. And determining your brain profile is a little trickier, but most of us can guess that pretty well by the way we prefer to approach things. And then you just look through the book and match which one you are. And it will tell you, oh, here's uh-huh. here's what happens to me under stress. Here's what areas are blocked under stress. And it can tell you that about your kids too. So it's a great little reference book to go. That would in. be so helpful to know um, and to understand and to maybe overcome. So I think a lot of, I'm thinking of um, Eagle Scout training, Boy Scout training. You know, they do a lot of training for things under stress, you know, first aid right. or that kind of thing. And you can train yourself to respond a certain way under stress with muscle memory and mm. repetitive motions. But because, because for this very thing, it is not intuitive. That's right. There, It's not intuitive. And so you, but it can be learned and, and we are thankful for the people who learn it and who make actually make a career out of it, helping right. people in well, times I bet of stress. You if, you took, if you took a look, I bet their the hand dominance and their foot dominance is opposite. Is cross lateral. The people who choose those careers. Because they are yes. naturally in motion. Yes. When stress when happens. When stress happens. <laughs> yeah. So that's beautiful. So, but what, okay. What if we want to become more cross lateral? Can, can we do that? Yeah, we can do it. That's the good part. Um, we can all do it. We all do it eventually as we get older and grow and learn how to function in the world. But you can promote it by moving your body, basically. Mm-hmm. How easy is that? And by playing outside. So she gives you tons of exercises in the book and ideas to get these cross lateral connections going. And some of them have to do with tapping or um, de-stressing. A lot of things that counselors use um, to promote connections Connections. across the brain. Mm -hmm. Also, um, this is in yoga circles and in energy work circles. They talk about how your, your body's energies cross over. So your the right side crosses over to the left and left left crosses over to the right. So you can do um, marching motions. So you lift your left leg and your right arm up, uh-huh. and then you swing your right arm across your body as you lower your 
like you're marching in place. Right. Lift your left arm and your right leg up and swing that left arm across your body. And you're you're just helping that brain make those connections crossover, 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 crossover. Interesting. So in a kid's elementary school music class, what you're describing makes me think of what my kids used to do in music mm-hmm. class. Rhythms, marching, clapping. How are we putting all that together? Mm-hmm. And that's actually improving their um, cross-lateral connections. Yeah. So I, you swing your arms in a figure eight, you know, across your body. Yes. And it just help, it helps make those connections. Um Walking is a good way to do it because if mm-hmm. you're walking, you're you're automatically swinging that right arm, left leg, and vice versa. Yeah, that's right. And you could do it even more exaggeratedly, like on purpose, mm-hmm. if you don't want to look too crazy in your neighborhood. <laughs> I've seen those people. <laughs> well, and some people, like actually, Emma had a job interview once, and the um, interviewer said, "Now, do you do you communicate better in motion or sitting still?" Because if you communicate better in motion, we'll walk while I interview you. And I thought, oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> what a what a perceptive and progressive interviewer. I know. I thought that is phenomenal. That's awesome. See, why can't we just do that in our classrooms? Yeah. I or, know. Or in our homes. Let's just take a walk around the block. Mm-hmm. I know you're in trouble. Walk with me. That's what that's right. Do I wish I'd done that. Me too. Uh, we didn't do it. Y'all try it. Didn't even take try advantage it, of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that would be great. Or your husband. You're in trouble. Come walk with me. <laughs> <laughs> We're going around the block. Neighbors will be like, oh, what's going on with them That's again? Right. They're walking again. <laughs> They're walking again. They're the healthiest people I know. <laughs> That's right. Oh. So another great activity is knitting and crocheting because the way um, you're using both hands at the same time, you know, I would imagine piano. Yeah. similar for that you mm-hmm. both hands at the same time um so in denmark all the school children learn to knit which i love I this thought was fantastic i love that fact and <laughs> it's not only is it a way to cross lateral get those connections going but you know of course they have cold winters so they need lots of hats and mittens practical so, like win-win <laughs> that's right that's right and um it's just worth noting that most children do not learn by sitting still and being quiet we learn by moving growing more neurons Activating, activating more mitochondria and getting us more energy. Um, Hannaford has another book called Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Our Head. You know, scripture says this again and again. We're body, soul, and spirit. Mm. And um, the Western view is if we just cram our brains full of information, we think we'll be transformed people. And that is not so. Hmm. It is not so. You need to get information. Yes, I'm for learning and putting information in my brain, but I need to get it down into my limbs. So cramming our brains full of information is what that, like maybe 15% of learners learn that way Mm -hmm. in a typical sit still in rows of desks kind of learning situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the way we do it. That's only 15% of us can learn well that way. Yeah, it's a terrible model. But, so yeah. you need to be like outside running yeah. around or doing something physical mm-hmm. or kinesthetic with your hands. It's or- just hard. I get why they do it because we could do it. Like Houston was on the mini trampoline while I would read aloud. Well, that's one kid. You've got one kid. But that's why we could do it. Yeah, it's not like, 25. Well, Emma is two kids and Emma didn't like it. It bothered her uh, to hear the squeak, 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 <laughs> you know, while, he, while I'm reading. Um, but I knew he needed to move. She would do smaller movements, fine motor skills. So she was sitting and knitting or crocheting or she was drawing while I was reading. Um, 
And I could accommodate that. But you're right. In a room full of 20, 25, 30, that becomes disruptive. You can't do it. It's chaos if, if kids are moving. So I get why they put people in rows. It's just, it's not conducive. Yeah. It's not conducive to learning. So when I, when I, uh, Houston and I just presented at a mother-son camp and we, yeah, we had turn and talk time. We had get up and move around and do an activity time. And we threw in little bits of lecture in between, knowing that you're going to try to hit different kinds of learners in the process. Um, It's just, it's not fun to sit. I don't like to be sit, to sit still and be talked to. Right. For a long period of time. With very Why little. do we think our children who have fewer so much more fewer energy? Breaks. Oh, yeah. Um, why do we think they want to do that? Do it that way? Absolutely. So one thing that I found was super cool about this episode was, you remember back when we did our kids and music episode with Millie mm-hmm. Harrison? And, and your dear husband. husband Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked about all the ways that music benefits kids, but this book says why that is. And that's because an instrument like a woodwind that sits against the teeth or a brass trumpet that's held on the lips or a violin that rests against the jaw or the cheek. When you're, vi- when you're um, playing those instruments, it's vibrating your head and stimulating both of those uh, hemispheres in your brain. And so singing does that too because it's vibrating the vocal cords and the bone structure and everything in the head. So it's forming those cross connections. Hmm. Isn't that cool? That's really interesting to me. I'm thinking about um, vibration. Tribal cultures who do a lot of humming and dancing and marching around. Yeah. Yeah. It's like just instinctive, intuitive. It it is in all of us. And and what is that actually accomplishing? Hmm. It's funny how God knew. I know. It's funny how he knew. I love learning about this kind of stuff. I'm so glad you found this podcast. I just think it's so interesting. And this author. So easily, one of the best things that you can do is unstructured, imaginative, open-ended play and de-stressing by going outside. Lots of it. Lots of it. We can do more and more of that. Yeah. There's beauty in boredom and making them explore and learn. Uh, So you can find these resources uh, on our website at justaskyourmom.com and you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. And take five seconds to rate and review the podcast and share us with your friends and family. That's really the best way for people to learn about oh, us. Yeah. Is we love just to hear that. Just be shared. And if you have suggestions for an episode, send them to us at justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just, just Ask, Ask Your, your Mom. Mom.